All right. Um, let's pray, and then uh, we'll get going. So, Jesus, uh, we are here for you. We want to hear your word tonight, God. We thank you that we got to worship you. We thank you that you're here. We thank you that you speak to your people, and we are your sheep, and we, and we know your voice, and so we follow you. So we just want to hear your voice tonight, and we want to hear you speak directly to our hearts. And so we continue to worship. We open our hearts before you, and we just ask that you plant good seed in us and that we'll be good soil, that we'll receive the seed of your word and bear fruit with it. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. All right. So I'm going to, where do I want to go? I want to start a little bit um, before I get into the sermon. Felt like the Lord, we're going to do a, like a fast as a church uh, starting the beginning of the year. Can I get, where's like the on your feet? <laughs> we're going to do a fast to start the new year. Yeah, we're going to fast to start the new year. Um, you know, this is something I do a lot just at the beginning of the year. It's a good way to start, but I, I, I felt like to do an invitation. I felt the Lord put it on my heart. And fasting for me, I used to think it was this horrible, slaving, striving activity. It was like, crap, I have to fast. This is going to be painful. This is going to hurt. Like, this is uncomfortable. I just want to have my normal life um, and not have to deal with this. Um, but there was a, a number of years ago, I'd felt like the Lord asked me to do a fast, and, it, and I felt like he'd spoken really clearly to me, and it scared me, because I was like, I don't want to do that. That's going to hurt. Um, I don't know. And about maybe three or four days into this, I remember I was just like, you know, I'm doing really well, Lord. And he was like, yeah, you need to understand that when I'm asking you to fast, he's like, I'm giving you a gift. He's like, I'm inviting you into my grace. And he's like, and my grace is going to sustain you to where you shouldn't be able to. But I felt amazing. And it was just like this revelation for me. Not that it's fun. It's still, it's still, it can be a difficult process and it can be, you know, it's abnormal. But it was like, God's like, I'm giving you a gift. I'm, I'm giving you an invitation to come into a deeper part of me because there's something that happens when we fast. It's not that fasting in and of itself is some special thing. Like Jesus kind of condemns that in a sense if you do it just because you think you get favor with the Lord. Um, but when the Lord asks you and invites you into something, uh, something amazing happens. And I believe you get into this kind of a spiritually intense time. You find yourself praying more. And things happen when the, when the Lord's giving you grace for fasting. So uh, we're going to be doing that corporately. And I wanted to invite all y'all into that, um, and really ask the Lord, like, is this something you're asking me to do, and then really, and then why, like, what, and you know, what reasons, and there's always, you know, I find myself, there's a few emphasis of things that I find myself praying for um, throughout that, so uh, 21 days is what I, this, like, the first three weeks, I'm, I'm gonna do uh, what's called a Daniel fast, um, for those of you that are not familiar with that, it's like vegetable, it's basically no meats and no sweets, um, so, uh, there's all types of different fasts. There's like, and we'll, we'll talk about it more at the New Year's service. Um, but, you know, there's obviously like water fast. There's uh, uh, people, I know I had a friend that did a fast where he wrote a psalm every single day during that fast. So he added something to his schedule. I know people that say, I will go to sleep by 9 p.m. every single night on this. So it's like, there's, you can be very creative, something that you can, you have permission to kind of talk with the Lord about. So just wanted you to be thinking about that, and we'll probably discuss a little bit more on New Year's Day. Um, yeah, and we'll keep it at that. So uh, let's get going into the message. If you have your Bibles, you can open them to John 3.16. Who knows that verse? John 3.16, right? 
says that God so loved it. All right, nobody else has heard that song. Maybe that was just the Nazarene kids, what they learned in Sunday school, because we sure learned that song and had like dance to it and everything. So, uh, you know, I don't remember the dance, so... Uh, but we're on week six now of this message sermon series called Story, which is basically drawing out the sense that we use stories. The stories we tell ourselves is how we interpret the world around us. Uh, we, the sociologists used to say, or psychologists would say that, you know, events happen. We would have emotional responses to events, and that is how we interpret life is based on the events that happen. But it's not true because people can experience the exact same event and have two radically different emotional responses because the stories that they're telling that help them interpret the meaning of these events are very different. And I've used this example, and I'll stick with it. The last five weeks is a kid flips his car, like, and he's on the side of the road, and there's cops everywhere, and he's a teenager, and one of his teenage friends drives by, and he looks at him, and the teenage friend goes, oh, that kid's an idiot, and he keeps on driving down the road. That story helps dissociate the emotions of the event, because I don't want to feel vulnerable myself, that that could happen to me. Um, but a mother of teenagers will drive by the same exact event and have a very different emotional response, because they'll tell something to themselves like, Where's my son? That could be my boy, right? And they'll like experience because they're interpreting you have with God. And, and so when it comes to Christianity and the, the stories that we have with God, I think the most important thing about a person, A.W. Tozer says, the most important thing about a person is what they think about God. And so uh, you know, we have an adversary that wants to lie to us, manipulate us, change us, to shift the story that we tell ourselves so that we're interpreting life in a way that is different from how God is interpreting life and how God is viewing it from his perspective. So we've been drawing out stories. I was going to have someone share tonight, but they actually, um, there's a whole bunch of people that got like some crazy things happen or kind of traumas or events, so maybe we need to pray for them. But uh, they ended up not being able to come. So uh, that was a bummer, but maybe we'll get them, we'll get them into the new year. Uh, but we've been drawing out stories and been just kind of going through different things that kind of drawing out the story of who we are as a church in this very formative uh, season of self-identification and our basically our infancy as a church. So um, that's where I'll continue tonight. And tonight's sermon I'm going to preach is on uh, I'm going to call a missional mandate. And I believe that the church is on a threshold. Well, all of culture is on a threshold, and we're really living in very exciting times uh, as as a people and in the Western world. And it's the postmodern shift is what sociologists would call it. We've we've we we're entering from a a Christian nation to a post-Christian nation. Uh, we're probably about two decades behind Europe, and if you're in Europe, uh, their church buildings are no longer church buildings. They are bought by businesses and ran by all other things because the churches are emptied, because the millennial generation has completely, basically rejected the church, and uh, they're just, they're, Europe, if you look throughout the last, like, probably three, four hundred years, they're always about 20 years ahead of us as far as how Christianity goes and the trends, um, but they're all, it's also a little different, so it's not like a direct correlation. Uh, but we're living in this shift where things are changing. Uh, the, the huge shifts as far as like spirituality that are taking place is that in the post uh, or in the modern, which was like the last 300 years of basically thought, uh, or maybe 200 years, basically since the Industrial Revolution. I'm blanking on my date. But uh, there was this thing of science. Science was exalted. It was very much ration, uh, reason. I want to understand systematic thought line by line, precept by precept, scientific theory. We want to test things. We want to know things. 
And it kind of put like the more spirituality type side, the mystical side of spirituality kind of on the back burner. And it was, it was only really in small pockets. Um, but this shift now with what the millennial generation is really embodying uh, is, is into this postmodernism where they've, we've recognized that science was not all it was cracked up to be. Right? We had these ideals that technology was going to like save our culture, and now we've seen technology wreak more destruction than all the other wars combined, right? With a nuclear bomb has the potential of blowing up the world. We have the potential to blow up the world like hundred times over. And this is not like an apocalypse message by any means, but it's just there's this huge shift, and we can talk more about that later. But in this shift, the church is changing. And, and, and I've been in this, you know, for years. I grew up in the church. I was kind of disenfranchised by it. I, didn't, I, I was not very captivated by what church was. And when I, when I walk around the millennial generation, which is the emerging generation in this nation, there's some real mixed messages and mixed ideas of what they think church is like. Most millennials want nothing to do with the church. Uh, if you look at the stats, if you want to get on the Gallup polls, or if you want to get to a... Uh, um, any of the, the, the real top researchers of Christianity, they don't want anything to do with it. They just, there's nothing that captivates them about what church was. And that is not because church has been bad, it's because things are changing. And the ways that we view life and perceive life, the story of a generation is changing. And God is, is he's ahead of the times and he knows that and he has ultimate wisdom. And I believe that God is changing his church because his church is his bride and it's the expression of Jesus who's the hope of the nations. And so he wants to create a church that's going to gravitate and capture the passionate heartbeat of the rising generation. Amen? Many of you in here are of that. And many people have been forerunners in the last generation that have seen this and have written works. And if you want to, um, someone like Henry Nowen, if you've ever read any of his stuff, he was talking about this 30, 40 years ago. Um, so it's not like it's a, it's a foreign idea, but we're on this precipice of actually embodying it. And I've been asking God, what is the church of tomorrow? What does the church of tomorrow look like? Because I don't want to build the church of yesterday. We need to build the church of tomorrow. We want to be on the cutting edge, building what you are dreaming, what you're perceiving that is going to capture the heartbeat of, of the rising generation, right? That's not just here, but it's, it's across the world. And, and I believe that this shift for me, this missional mandate, has been something that's really burned on my heart, and it's something that I'm aching to see, and really how we're trying to structure uh, this church to be. And it's very much, a, we're a baby, and we're on a process. But um, that was that for an intro, so let's go. Um, we are all called to be missionaries, Right? And I would define a missionary as someone who is on mission with God. Right? They're on assignment. There's a, an intentionality to missionaries, to, to the, even that name and that language. But unfortunately, when I say the word missionary, or when you hear someone say, I felt God call me to be a missionary, what do you think that means? What is that? How do you process that? I'm going to Africa, right? And I've, heard, I've literally heard people say, um, I'm scared God's going to call me to be a missionary because then I'd have to go live in Africa. Like, you know, like there's this, it's very much, that's how it's, it's cognated in our mind is missionary means I'm called to go be in a foreign nation, somewhere uncomfortable where there's dirt and bugs and stuff and the food's weird and I get sick, right? Um, and, and that's not entirely wrong by any means, but w why is it? Why is it that we think that? Um, it's, it's based basically on this logic, like Paul was the first missionary of the church, right? And he left his home, which was over in Israel. Um, and he left, and he was a cross-cultural missionary, right? And he went to all these different places. He preached the gospel. He started churches and these, un, you know, these unmarked, um, unreached people groups. 
and he started a bunch of churches. And uh, in the model of Paul, we've, we've modeled our understanding of missionaries, right? And this isn't, this isn't bad. This is good. This is correct. Um, but it's, the problem with this is that most Christians, if you just look at the numbers, it's like less than, I think it's less than 5% of the body of Christ is called to be a cross-cultural missionary. Like about 5% are the people that are called, I'm going to go to Africa, India, South America, or Africans that are coming to America or Europe, right? Like, that we're called to go to different, different nations. And what that has done then is that there's been this implicit, like, distinguishment where it's like, well, those people are missionaries, which implicitly says we are not, right? And if you're ever in environments, which I have been in a number of them for some extended periods of time, um, missionary cultures... There is this intentionality to the way they live the gospel that kind of blows you away. You're like, wow, these people are hardcore Christians. Like, that's how I always describe them. I'm like, this is not comfort Christianity here in the bush of Africa. You guys are, like, killing it. I met this lady once that was in the Sudan by herself. for She'd been by herself for a number of, like, three years in the scorching heat of the desert with this tribe of people as a woman, unmarried, by herself. I was like, you are like the equivalent of a Navy SEAL in the body of Christ. I was like, will you pray for me? Because you are a bad woman, you know? Like, I would not want to mess with you, and I wouldn't want to run into you in an alley in the dark at night, right? And, like, it's just this breed, this missionary breed. But what grieves me, and I, I went, the Lord took me to Africa for a season, and I was with all these missionaries, and they used to make fun of me. I have friends that still say, yeah, I remember, like, the first week we were there, you're like, I'm called to America, <laughs> I'm called because they're all like, I'm called to the slums of Brazil. I'm called to the, the dirt of Africa. And I was like, I'm called to Boise. <laughs> you know, like, because I was just like, it was not my call. And I kept saying, Lord, why am I here at a missionary training school? Why am I here at a missionary training school? And finally, the Lord spoke to me one day. He said, Jordan, you're here because I'm not just calling you to be a pastor in America that you create a, a comfortable kind of, you know, in your world. And he's like, I'm calling you to be a missionary, and I'm sending you to be a missionary to your own people, to your own city. And it was just like, he's like, I want you to have the same breed, the same intentionality there as you've seen here. And, and that's a hope that I have, and it really is. And it's something that I, you know, even for myself, this isn't just talking about everybody else's problem. This is for me. I find myself, I want that same intentionality that I had there, here, in this land, in this city. Um, but this definition, has, has, it's, what, it's, why, it's why we're mixed. We don't understand that we're all missionaries because there's been this implicit division. And the problem is, is in our definition where we find it, and it's, and it's really the question is, who is the church's first missionary? So everyone says it's Paul, but I would argue it's not. I would argue the first missionary to the church is God. John 3.16, you're there, says that God so loved the world, he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ. And, and that's not it. Uh, in, in Luke 3, verse 22, I'm not going to read it for the sake of time. It says, The heavens are open, and the Holy Spirit descends like a dove and rests upon Jesus. So we've got two members of the Trinity that are moving from heaven to earth at this point. And in uh, John 16, 12, this is Jesus towards the end of his life, and he's, he's saying basically he's going to go and there's going to be this persecution, but he says, But I'm not alone. For my Father is always with me. So there's a sense that somehow, and even this mystical relationship, there's this union where the entire Godhead himself came to earth. Right? 
And in the triune God, the Trinity, God didn't come alone. He came as a family. And God actually evangelized the world with family. He came to get mankind into the community of his heart, into the family of God, into the relationship of who he is. And in Jesus' ultimate prayer, the high priestly prayer in John 17, he's praying. He says, God, you know, I'm in you. You're in me. We're one. We're big one happy family, basically. And he starts praying. And God, I pray that you'll make them one. I pray that in this triangle of love that they will get pulled into it. And so God came as a missionary. He is a missionary God. He left his home, and he was such intentional, and he came, and he basically swallowed man into the loving kindness, loving of, his, of himself, right? Jesus is like trying to get people in. So he didn't just, you know, come and preach a gospel and say, pray this prayer. He actually came and brought them in to a home, into the community of God himself, and they found love, and people, you know, that's why they wanted it. I want, I want Jesus. I want, this is the kingdom. He says, here's the kingdom. What is the kingdom? It's a healthy family, the family of God. I'm going to keep developing this thought. Um, he's a missionary God, and what this means is that understanding mission, mission is not what the church does. It's much deeper than that. Mission is who the church is. Because the church is the body of Jesus. And Jesus is a part of the Godhead who is a missional, missionary God who moves and compels and is chases after and comes to his people wherever they are. In Ezekiel chapter 1, there's this very interesting passage. Um, for those of you that know, don't know the history of Ezekiel, he's a prophet. And he is a prophet called um, while basically in the process of Israel getting kicked out of Israel. Babylon conquers them. They take them into exile. And Ezekiel is with a band of people that just got to Babylon. And he's by a river that, that flows into Babylon. And they are undone. Like if you read in the Psalms, there's these Psalms of mourning where they're breaking their harps and the Babylonians are taunting them, saying, sing to your God, sing to your God, sing praises. And they're saying, how can we sing? The temple's destroyed. We're not in our land. They are absolutely distraught. And this is why uh, their whole understanding of God's presence was that he dwelt in the temple. It was called Zionism. It was this understanding that God's presence was in the temple. Everything was about Zion. Everything centered around the Mount Zion, which is Jerusalem, which is where the Temple Mount is. And it just got destroyed. And they are undone because they have this huge burning question, which is, where is God? Where is he now? We don't have anything, and they're, they're lost. And Ezekiel, he's standing by the river this day, and he has this vision. And it's when the Lord calls him, and he has this vision, and he sees the glory of God. And it's like in this swirling, you have to read it. I could try to describe it to you, but it's kind of difficult. But all you know is there's wheels and turning and movement. And it says there's the spirit who's guiding everything. And it says there's one like a son of man on the throne. And then there's the voice of the almighty. And there's, there's this language of the Trinity, but that, you know, there wasn't developed. There's was no theology of the Trinity yet because the Trinity, you know, it's not even mentioned in the Bible. Um, as far as that name, that term, that was like a 500-year process of figuring out that doctrine, but that's probably another sermon too. But uh, there's this language of the Trinity, and it's this swirling storm of glory. And all of a sudden, Ezekiel's like undone because he's standing there going, your glory's in the temple on Zion. And God's saying, no, no prophet, no prophet of Israel. I'm bigger than my temple. I'm with you in 
Babylon, right? And God's showing. It's like this swirling, glorious, and God's shining so bright he can't even see. And he's like, I'm bigger than the temple. I'm coming. He's coming in this, this, this himself, this trinity. And that is the picture when I think of the trinity. It is this swirling community of love that is just engulfing people. It's not just, hey, say a prayer and repent of your sins. It's like God compelling people, come home, come home into me, into the place where you belong, which is one with me, surrounded by this swirling glory storm of love, right? And God is showing, he's like, he's breaking this paradigm in Ezekiel, like, whoa, you're not just in your temple. Somehow you're here. Right? And, and he's starting this, this, this revelation that he's trying to, to give over a long time to Israel. Because about 70 to 100 years later, Israel came back from Babylon. And they're back in, in Jerusalem. And they've built the temple again. And Isaiah, the, these oracles um, of Isaiah in the book of Isaiah. And, and um, there's a lot of people that will say that Isaiah is two, two authors. There's a first Isaiah and a second Isaiah. First Isaiah is the first 39 chapters. Second Isaiah is, is chapter 40 to 66. Um, there's a lot of like, no one really knows, um, but the reason that they make this distinction is because the first 39 chapters are God prophesying to Israel before the exile. The last 27 chapters are God speaking to Israel after the exile. So it could be the same person. I don't know. I'm not going to comment to that. You can read if you're interested. But the point is, is that the last 26 chapters of Isaiah are speaking to a returned Israel back home, right? So Ezekiel's seen this thing. God's not just in his temple. And in verse 66 of Isaiah, there is this, this oracle that comes to him. And, and, and God is speaking. And it's, something, it's, very, it's, it's interesting because he says, he says, basically he says, hey Israel, he says, heaven is my throne, earth's my footstool. What is this house that you've made for me? And it's this critique of the temple. He's basically saying, yeah, I'm in the temple, it's my footstool, but I'm bigger than my temple, right? I'm bigger. And it's like, and it's like he's, trying to, he's trying to make this message. And 500 years pass. And there's one last huge defining message that God tries to make to his people, Israel, that are centered around this Zionist theology that God is only in his temple. And that is the death of Jesus Christ, what happens to the veil. It gets split, which is saying that there is no distinction. God's, again, bigger than his temple. And God, it's like he's trying to just tell Israel, look, I'm bigger than a building. I'm not going to be confined to a building I'm there, it's my footstool, but I'm a lot bigger than this building, right? And God is trying to, he's trying to, he's trying to demonstrate to his people that he won't be domesticated and he will not be institutionalized. He's not comfortable staying within four walls. It is a very uncomfortable place for God and he's constantly breaking out breaking out. No, I'm in a swirling glory storm. No, what is this? This is my footstool. Heaven is my throne. No, no, no. The veil's torn. I don't want to be confined to this one little place, right? Because God is, 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 is wild and undomesticated and eternally good. C.S. Lewis, you know, he's in that, it's in the little kids, he goes, is the, is the lion good? Or is the lion safe? Sorry. He goes, is the lion safe? They said, no, no, the lion's not safe, but he's good. And, and God, what he's, what he's 
why he doesn't want to be bound by a creed or an order or a routine or this is the way God works is because man starts to control that. That becomes an institution that's run by man and God will not let that happen because he's wild. He's love, he's good. He is the most consistently good person we will ever deal with. He is always kind, but he is not controllable. And Israel kept wanting to confine him. No, he's Zion. He, it's the Zionist. He's in Zion. He's only on Mount Zion. And God's saying, no, I'm there, but I'm bigger. I'm there, but I'm bigger. I'm in your midst in a powerful way in this temple. But I'm bigger than the temple. I'm everywhere. I'm pursuing. I'm this missionary God that is not static. Right? And, and God doesn't want to, he doesn't ever want to rest on institutions. The, 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 the presence, the ark of the presence never rests on animals. It would only rest on priest. It would rest in relational, on this relational dynamic, okay? Christianity is unfortunately good at criticizing Israel's mistakes with, a complete, with ignoring the log in our own eye. We'll look and we'll say, how can Israel do these things? How can the Pharisees say that? How can da-da-da-da-da-da-da? And we don't recognize that we do the same thing and the same pattern has repeated many times. And the church, I believe the American church has become confined to a building. We think of church, we think of the building. We don't think of people. We don't think of the priest. We think of the building. We think of the institutions. We have so wired. Our Western culture is so wired and structured and square, and the roads are nice and everything, and this is where we do this, and this is everything is, is separated and confined and, and segmented, and the church has fallen into that, and it's become this institutionalized thing where we go to church on Sunday, and we do everything else out there, and it's been, even though we always talk about it, no, there's no divide. There's no divide. How many people feel like there's a divide? How many teams have I sat with people day after day after day? I sit with people. I just don't know. I don't know how to connect with God out there. I don't, I don't know what evangelism looks like. I can go to South America and talk to the gospel to them, but I can't do it in my own street. I get scared to death, and I don't, know how to, I don't know how to do it in my own city. And I've felt it too, and it's like, God, what is the answer? Why, why are you becoming institutionalized in my life? Because the reality of, 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 of Western culture is everything is segmented. Think about a third world marketplace compared to a first world marketplace. First world marketplace is I drive to Albertsons. I know where my aisles are. Bop, 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 bop. Swing out. Oh, self-checkout. Don't even need that person to help me. Boom, boom. I'm out in my car. I probably never even spoke to a person. Third world marketplace, I probably bumped into 85 before I even got to the first place to get like the fruit I wanted, right? It's this different mixture. One's not bad over the other, but the point is, is that if we're not intentional and start understanding how we reflect this missionary God who is this swirling glory storm and is always on the move and pulling people in and together into the community of himself, we will find ourselves just drifting into this life that starts becoming very segmented, into a spirituality that's very segmented, into our routines and our structures and our lives, and everything becomes very ordered, but we find that our spirituality becomes very domesticated and very, very predictable and very boring, if we're honest. Is this resonating? Yeah. My hope is that, in, is that the church... When people think of the church, they'll think and they'll say, are those people safe? 
I'll say no. 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 They are, no, they are not safe. I don't know what's gonna happen when they're around. But let's say, but they're so good. Goodness follows them everywhere. Something happens to me. I'm different when they leave my presence. I don't know what to expect, but I'm different. And, and that people literally start thinking of church and they start thinking of the 12 different people in their life that believe in Jesus that impact them on a regular basis, right? That it's the shift from a building to a people. Building's not bad, but we need both. I want them to think of buildings and then people that are doing amazing things. It has to be this both. Because I don't want to take the message. The church is a paradox. The church is, the church is a body, which is fluid and organic, and it's a building, which is rigid. It's a movement, and it's a structure. It's a river and a house, right? Ha, ha, ha. But that's honestly part of why I named it this. What is the building for? Why do we need buildings? It brings organization. It brings structure. It brings, it brings that we can actually facilitate the force of the movement that God wants to release into the earth. We had no organization. It would just be a flood. But when we read Ezekiel 47, it's not a flood. It's a house. It's the temple. It's his footstool, which has a purpose of having his presence in a particular way. But what starts flowing out of that temple? Somebody. Just guess. It's a river. Yes, it's a river. A river starts flowing from a house. And if that's not a picture of the church, I don't know what is. But God is wanting to release the force of a movement to see heaven invade earth, to see his kingdom come and his will be done. And the church is a building that has organization. We can't just go meet out in a field because it's freezing cold out there right now, right? But we need a building that has like some practical good things. But the force is God and it's from heaven. And the reason God won't be domesticated is because what happens is that the building gets exalted over the force of the movement and then it dries up and God says I can't be here anymore because I am an impenetrable unstoppable force of nature that is love 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 to the world right and so mission isn't just what we do out there and we're supposed to go tell people about Jesus mission is I got to start looking like God in this this swirling glory storm how do I start structuring my life so that I am just so caught up in the movement of God in the way he loves within himself that I'm so swept into the passion of his heart that I just find myself just out there I am in the midst of this swirling glory storm right who wants to live that life who wants to live a life that's not safe but it's good that's not, that's not predictable, but it's powerful, right? That, that, that it's, it's not like we're going to go like jump off cliffs. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about we wake up in the morning and we say, I don't know what God's going to do today. He might put me in some vulnerable situations. I, he might, I might be out on the water, but I'm going to come alive because I'm with God, right? I don't want to just be confined, right? So can we put the slide up? Not that one. We don't have it? All right, we don't have it. That's going to make this difficult. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, 
we're tr- I'm trying to structure this church, and this is not, I do not think that this church is by any means the answer to church. <laughs> I think I want to be faithful to do what I'm called to do, and there's going to be a whole lot, of, and there are in this city, a whole lot of other beautiful churches that are being faithful what God's calling them to do. So I do not want to, you to take away a message and think, oh, this is the way to do it, because it's not. But this is the way that I feel God is calling us to do it. And uh, basically, the structure of River House, uh, it's, a, it's Sundays. Like, that's where I want to build and develop all the structure of what we do. And what Sundays are, why do we do Sundays? Because like, these are good questions to ask, because we've just been told we do Sundays. We do Sundays. Yeah, church is on Sunday. Why is church on Sunday? Why do we all meet together? If the church is a people and a body, why are we meeting? And that's, um, that's because I believe that in corporate worship, something powerful happens. I believe that the preaching of the word in a powerful congregation, something powerful happens. I believe people have encounters with the presence of God that change their lives. I believe that, that things happen in a corporate setting that don't happen out there. Just like I believe things happen out there that don't happen in here. Just like I believe things happen in the prayer closet where nobody else is that don't happen here and here, right? Uh, but we, we're going to meet and we're developing Sundays so that all of all the, the programs... I don't like that word, but all the things that we do as Riverhouse Church, and when we think of the, the building, the big structure, they happen on Sundays. We'll eventually begin meeting on Sunday mornings. Um, we're developing, we're in the process of developing Christian education courses um, that will be in the afternoons. It will be very, very good biblical education. We need the Bible in us if we want to perceive the world the way that God's doing. We need to know the story that God's been writing for thousands of years if we want to understand the significance of what he's doing today. And so we're going to get the Bible. We're going to teach the Bible in a way that comes it alive and makes you hunger and thirst for his word and for his truth because his word is truth and it's beautiful and we need to know it. And it grieves my heart that how many millennials, how many people do not know the Bible the basic things of the Bible, and we need to know the Bible. God gave it to us. It's a gift. It's a love letter, and so we're, we're developing that, but again, that will be on Sunday. We're going to develop children's ministry. We're developing. It's going to be excellent, and we're going to pour into these kids, and it's going to be on Sunday. We're going to develop youth, youth ministry. I know who the youth pastor will be most likely, um, and it's going to be on Sunday. Why? Because I don't want to create the whole week. I don't want to create a whole list of programs for you to do all week that that cast the message that I need you to make the church great. Because I think the church is given to make the people great, to do great things out there. And so Sundays, like Sunday is going to be church day. And it's going to be a full day. And that's where we're going. Uh, we're going, if I look down the road next year, it's going to be a full day. But it's going to be a powerful day. When you're going to get equipped, you're going to be encountered, you're going to be educated, and you're going to be filled up. It's a huddle, like a football huddle. Right? What do you do? You get the play. You get what the Spirit's speaking to the churches. You encounter God. Then you got to go out and do the play. Right? And then the model that we're doing, it's a missional model, um, but they're revival groups. And this is what we have one right now. But these are, these are groups that embody prayer. There are people that do prayer, that do family, and that they do mission. And what these are is the swirling glory storm. Right? These are communities of people that say, okay, what does it look like for me to do the gospel that we hear about all the time? What does it look like to do it out there? What does it look like to embody it? What does it look like to be, like, I don't want to just go and tell someone, hey, Jesus loves you. Like, that's good. That's not bad. Please do that. But that's not enough. What does it look like to have a community of people that say, how, where are we going to go and embody and evangelize a city with family? Right? God came, 
He's a missional God. How do we start looking like him? How does our community look at like the community of God, right? It's this John 17, one with God, right? Their prayer, we know him. Family, we know each other. Mission, we're taking that to the world because there are a bunch of missional spaces. I wish I had this diagram, um, but they're there, there are subcultures in our city. There are like a million subcultures in this city that are empty. And if a revival group's a circle, subcultures are circles that are empty. Why? Because they're longing for something more. They're longing to be a part of a family. They're longing to know the love of God. They're longing to be accepted. They're longing for heaven. And what is heaven? It's to know God and who is God? The perfect family of love. And they're empty. The, the New Age subculture. You have the music subculture. You have the hipster subculture. You have the university subcultures. You have the coffee shop subcultures. You have the business subcultures. You have the real estate subcultures. You have like so many subcultures. Right? And, the, the beautiful, and these missional spaces, um, the beautiful thing is that we as a church are going to create them. You know, I just, I've had two conversations with two people in the last couple weeks, literally God is speaking and giving them dreams that I want to create this. It's a missional space where the church starts mingling uh, with the unchurched, with the world, and we start swallowing them in a family. What would it look like if just a family said, we're going to go down and 10 people, we're going to go hang out at this coffee shop every Wednesday and just be love. Just be love. I don't have to, like, preach them the seven steps of the gospel. I don't have to know the whole Bible. I'm just going to go there and be love and be open to, like, bringing people into a family. We're going to evangelize subcultures with family. And my hope is that so many people start getting dreams. What does it look like? What if this refugee subculture, what if I created this this business or this space or this thing, and then we start filling that? with these groups of people that are on mission with God and their family and their prayer. All right, does this make sense? Probably not as good as I would have wanted it to. And uh, I guess it's more just to be a glimpse of what this looks like going forward. And it's something I'm passionate about. Is it's a, and honestly, I'll be honest, it's a, it's a, it's a paradigm shift. It kind of hurts to get your head around because we're so used to just doing church. We're so used to just, I'm going to just go. Sunday's going to be awesome, and then I'm going to go do my life. And, and hope that God kind of shows up somehow, some way. And I just, it's just not enough for me, and it's not enough for you. It's not what you were born for. You were born to be a part of a community that is the swirling glory of God where there is so much movement and thrust and momentum, and we start seeing people feel loved. That's all, it's about love. It's about taking family and evangelizing the world with family, evangelizing city with family, evangelizing Boise, Idaho with family and creating spaces. How do I structure my life so that I'm not just getting structured out? I'm actually with the community dreaming with God that we're going to create a space. We're going to find a space that is empty in our city, and we're going to fill it with love. We're going to fill it with family, and it's not just this one and done. I'm going to start living my life and structuring my life, and I'm going to flow here, and I'm going to flow here. 
I'm going to flow here. And I just believe that if we're faithful to do that, we will see God bring transformation like you can't imagine. You will, God will give you, I just was with a young man two nights ago, literally telling me, God is speaking to me and he's telling me I'm supposed to create this business because it's going to be a space where the unchurched are going to come and the church is going to fill it and they're going to mingle and it's going to be a shore where they come in and they get their, their ankles wet because so many people are scared to death of the church because they've been wounded and they've seen it and they don't want institutions. They want people and they want relationships and they want real. He said, I'm going to create it. I'm going to create it. And I saw it, passion in his eyes, fire in his eyes. I'm going to create it, and the church is going to fill this, and we're going to see souls saved because I take a financial risk. I said, are you serious? That's the church. That's what we're called to be. It's not just come to church. It's God wanting to use you to make something that looks like something real, that looks like something powerful. Pastors are not it. My life, God's called me to go up on the mountain with him and to create a church where God just comes down. But it is not to go out and change the city. I don't have the authority there. I don't have the anointing there. You do. You have the dreams and the gifting and the passion and the resources and the things that God is stirring and dreaming to say, create, let's create a life where we are on mission with God and we are those hardcore Christians, not stuck in my institutionalized Western box of living my life like I'm supposed to. I am living with a community that we're dreaming with God and I'm gonna dare to try to do something about it. I'm gonna dare to create with him to bring heaven to earth. It doesn't look like spiritual craziness. It looks like real practical things that transform people's lives. It looks like coffee shops. It looks like restaurants. It looks like daycares. It looks like art studios. It looks like people giving lessons to, about sports and music. And it, it just, it looks like you. Amen? So, uh, you can come up, Jordan. We're going to close. I don't even know where I am anymore, but... Uh, um, I want to pray over us, and I really, I want to pray. This is not a message that I want you to go out and try to figure out what you're supposed to do. This is a message that we need a revelation of the movement of God himself, of this missionary God that we are made in his likeness. Because once we see him and we catch it, we're like, oh my gosh, you're not stuck in that temple. You're this swirling moving force of love that cannot be stopped we're like in the river and we're going like 80 miles an hour before we even have time to think anymore it's not thinking it's like that's who i am that's who i am and we just find ourselves in it doing creating so that's why i want to pray so we can stand up we can pray and then we're going to pray over one of our own that we are sending out on mission so it's a fitting night yeah, so God, I thank you that you are a missionary God, and I thank you that you've raised up a missionary people to look like you in a city. And I thank you, God, for the, the wisdom and the creativity and the dreams that you are stirring in our hearts, God. I thank you for what the people of this church, God, are going to create in Boise, Idaho, and abroad that is going to be spaces, these missional spaces, God, where, where your love and your family, we're going to evangelize Boise with family. 
God, I thank you that we get to do that. I thank you that we get the privilege of living inside you and then, and then moving with you in a city and saying, come home, come home right in the middle of this triune, beautiful, powerful God. So God, I pray for a missional revelation and that we be a people that fulfill a missional mandate on our lives. In Jesus' mighty name.